So I was inspired to talk about generosity tonight, partly just because of that thing I just talked about, having sat here for the last week up in retreat and um, hearing and seeing the construction going on and uh, all the work and all the work that's gone into the, you know, the fundraising and all the people who've really generously showed up to support the project and um, and just feeling this certain delight um, from the goodness of people's good hearts and generosity. It's, it's a very lovely thing. I mean, the fact that we sit here, we're on this land, this land was, you know, all the Spirit Rock was built and bought and funded and continues to be supported by people who love this practice. And so the generosity, we, we, we live, we survive on each other's generosity in many, many uh, seen and unseen ways, and I mean, even in a very practical way here at Spirit Rock, you know, as a, as a typical nonprofit, as a religious nonprofit, we um, uh, we raise about a third of our operating budget from donations from people who care about this place, who love this land, who love the the practice and the teachings, and so we, you're here, you know, supported by innumerable people who you probably may never ever meet. Um, and when you do a retreat, same thing, you're supported by other people generously caring about these practices. And certainly it's true in the tradition that the, the, the Buddha talked a lot about generosity as this kind of staple foundation for any mm, good life, you know, good spiritual life, ethical life. And... Um, in the teachings on the perfections, these qualities we develop as we aspire to awakening. The first quality is generosity. It's like a foundation. Um, so I want to just say some reflections about that and call it to mind. It's, I, it's, I, I, for me, it's one of the, the most beautiful human qualities. You know, the, the Buddha has this teaching called the Brahma Vihara, the, the divine abodes of the heart, love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. And I think of generosity as the fifth. There's really only four, but I think of it as a fifth, because um, it's, it's a beautiful quality of the heart. Um, and it can be boundless, which those qualities, uh, those other immeasurable qualities are. Um, so if you think about your own life and your own experience, when you hear that word or you remember times of generosity, either giving or receiving, or both, because sometimes it's the same thing. Um, just what, what, what comes to you when you think about generosity? And memories, experiences, your own practice, maybe your own struggle with it. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a practice in that it also, you know, like most practices, makes us stretch, makes us grow, makes us open, makes us step into sometimes maybe unfamiliar, uncomfortable territory uh, beyond our usual comfort zone. Maybe it's giving to strangers or giving more than we think our fearful mind uh, is comfortable giving. The, one of the root words for generosity um, in Latin is, comes from the word noble, uh, comes from the expression noble birth. And what's interesting is the, the Buddha, as, as Jack often gives talks, you know, starts his teachings, are nobly born ones. That's how the Buddha often talked about people who were walking the path was noble ones. Not noble by birth, but noble by their own practice, their own virtue, their own kind, generous hearts. So I have a bunch of friends getting ready for Burning Man. Anybody going to Burning Man here? All right, lucky you in the colorful dress in the front here. <laughs> I need a ticket. I need a ticket. I actually need a ticket too. Anybody generous enough to have a ticket? <laughs> um, and uh, actually, it was, it was fun. I was at my house on Sunday, and people were getting wigs out and colorful, wacky jewelry, and this is such a fun thing to get ready for. Um, and I was thinking about generosity and. One of my favorite moments of being given to as I was walking. So for those who haven't been to Burning Man, it's in Nevada. It's in the desert. It's very hot and dry and dusty. And it's in the middle of nowhere, except you're with 50,000 people being somewhat eccentric and artistic. 
And um, so it was the middle of the day, it was probably 100 degrees, and I was hot and thirsty. And a thought popped up, as these random thoughts do, especially there, it would be great to have a, a nice cold mango. Now, when the, where am I going to find a nice cold mango in the desert? So I walked to this big structure that was like a wooden wave structure. And this man comes up to me and said, would you like a nice cold mango? <laughs> Peeled it, <laughs> gave it in my hand. Thank you, yes I would, funnily enough. <laughs> so, um, but it's, it, that, that moment, what was so precious was the moment of receiving, that moment of someone showing up with something that you know, maybe you don't even know you wanted or needed it. So, um, so think about the times that you've given. Think about the times that you share. Think about the times you offer yourself, your time, your resources, your skill, your friendship. You know, someone just came up and said, um, uh, how can I get in touch with Michael? How can I help? How can maybe he need some groceries? You know, it's, that, it's, that, it's a beautiful movement of the heart. It's a somewhat unstoppable movement. If we listen, if we let it flow, we don't get caught up in our scarcity. Um, you know, and the research shows that we feel when it's, it's one of the sort of easiest supports for well-being and happiness is when we're giving. We feel generally happy giving than receiving even. So I think about my work. I, I feel blessed doing this work, which is a form of service. It's a form of giving, teaching, working with people, students, clients, and whatnot. And... Um, uh, and this is, I have a friend who says, you, you know, uh, the ideal work is, is finding the work where it doesn't feel like work, right? where it's just a joy to be doing what you're doing. You don't think of it as work. And, and giving in that way can be like that. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. And then think about the people who you know who are generous, who, who, who just are naturally, uh, abundantly giving. And, and, and what, are, what are qualities that characterize them? What, what would you, if you shout out, what's a quality of people who know who are generous? Like, are they, are they miserable and contracted? Uh, no, what, what's caring? caring empathic. empathic open, open. Loving. Loving. Happy. happy spacious. Helpful. helpful. Yeah, kind. Yeah, beautiful qualities. Understanding. <clears throat> Understanding. Yeah. Compassionate. Compassionate. So I, I, I keep actually meaning to bring this person here. I don't think he's spoken here. Um, I speak about him a lot uh, on this theme, Nipun Metta. People know that, that name? He, a uh, wonderful man, um, started a bunch of organizations uh, formed around this website called Service Space. And it's his life and his work and his People are just completely devoted to a life of generosity. He was in, um, he's Indian, raised in San Jose and went back to India as a teenager and was really, was going around on a moped, got really sick, got off the scooter, uh, was throwing up and this stranger came up to him. He was riding along his bicycle and saw he was sick, got off his bike pulled out a lemon from his coat, pulled out a knife from his other coat pocket, sliced it, gave him half a lemon, which is really good for nausea, and then got back on his bike, didn't say a word, and then just cycled off. And when Nippon sort of came to and was, was just really bowled over by this stranger who didn't even want to know his name, didn't stop for thanks, just saw there was a need, helped, and then went on his way. And that, that um, you know, how some moments can really move us, and it, and it sort of stayed with him. And when he left graduate school, he um, decided to, this, he, he graduated in um, engineering technology and um, information technology, and uh, decided with his friends, rather than going out to make a lot of mon money in Silicon Valley, they were going to offer their services for free. And this was in the late 80s, early 90s. And so he'd go approach these nonprofits and say, 
hey, would you like a website built? You know, well, we know, would you like some, you know, IT services? And they're like, well, what's a website? What's that? That sounds, sounds weird. Sounds like a waste of time, that internet stuff. <laughs> and they would, you know, eventually, you know, form partnerships and, and, and the people were like, well, what do you mean it's for free? What do you want? What's, what's in it? What's, there must be some hidden trap, you know, because we, we can be suspicious. And so we ended up building this, this whole series of um, organizations, which I'll talk a little more about later. But one of the things that he does is he has these um, weekly groups that are called Awakened Circles, and I started one in my house for a while. And uh, they just open circles where the, 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 the theme is generosity and, and the conversation about how to be generous and how to find ways to give and whatnot. And so he, he actually got inspired by his parents who, st- who helped him start it. And just a small few people came in the beginning and um, his mother would cook this beautiful Indian food. And now they've been going for, I think, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And she still cooks the food. And hundreds of people show up every week. So she's cooked, I think, she's like 50,000 meals. <laughs> Purely out of goodness, just out of this love and joy of service and kindness and generosity. So, I want to read this story um, that I came across. This was after the tsunami in, um, in Japan. And it's, it's a lovely story, but it's, it's emblematic of what happens when, when sometimes our, our situation gets radically altered and we, we lose everything. And I you know, hear this with war stories and other stories of devastation where, where something in the human heart actually comes through in a very beautiful way and is more connecting than in our normal uh, safe worlds that we live in that are somewhat um, contracted. She writes, things here have been rather surreal, but I'm very blessed to have wonderful friends who are helping a lot. Since my shack is even more worthy of that name, I am staying at a friend's home. We share supplies like water, food, and a kerosene heater. We sleep lined up in one room, eat by candlelight, share stories. It is warm and friendly. During the day, we help each other clean up the mess in our homes. People sit in their cars, looking at news on their nav screens, or line up to get drinking water. If someone has water running in their home, they put out a sign so people can come up and fill their jugs and buckets. It's utterly amazing that where I am, there's been no looting, no pushing in lines, People leave their front door open as it's safer when an earthquake strikes. People keep saying, oh, this is how it used to be in the old days when everybody helped each other. Sirens are constant, helicopter. Sirens are constant and helicopters pass overhead. We got water for a few hours in our homes last night and now it's for half a day. Electri- electricity comes back this afternoon. Some people have these things, others do not. No one has washed for several days. We feel grubby, but there are so much more important concerns than that for us now. I love this peeling away of non-essentials, living fully on the instinct, on the level of instinct, of intuition, of caring for what is needed for survival, not just for me, but for the entire group. And people are wonderful. I came back to my shack today, and I find food and water left in my entranceway. I have no idea from whom, but it is there. People go in green hats from door to door, checking to see if everyone is okay. People talk to complete strangers, asking if they need help. I see no signs of fear. So I know in, in England there's a lot of, uh, after the Second World War in London, where there was a tremendous amount of bombing and suffering, people reminisced about the, the camaraderie in the community and actually missed, even though it was very horrific, they missed that sense of human um, bondedness that happened and the kindness and the generosity when we lose everything or we see we, that, that illusion gets broken down that we're separate and we're isolated and we can be independent and we actually realize, oh, we can't, we can't do this alone. We do need each other. We are interdependent. We are dependent in a healthy way. <clears throat> so as I mentioned, the, the Buddha um, was uh, thought of this as a really cornerstone part of the tradition. And when you go to Southeast Asia, where the Theravadan tradition, where Spirit Rock gets its, draws its lineage from Burma and Thailand and Sri Lanka, You'll see that the practice of giving, the, the offering of food and, and alms to the monks and the nuns and the monasteries. And it's a beautiful um, offering. 
and often these these um, temples and monasteries, particularly in Burma in the north and in some place in Thailand, very 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 poor villages. Um, but the, the, the understanding of the, the power and the goodness and the virtue of giving, that people will give, um, sometimes in Burma, which is one of the poorest countries in the world, people will give a third of their income to, to others, to the monastery, to support the teachings, to support people practicing, because uh, you know, there's a love of the teaching, but also an understanding that generosity is a central part of what it means to be human. And it was interesting, I was in Australia recently and I was with a friend of mine who's an activist there and um, they have a very, very good welfare state, very good healthcare system, very good education system and there's a, there's a really strong sense of safety net. But what's interesting about that, she said, is because of that, philanthropy is less strong. There's less of a culture of philanthropy. Whereas in the States, where that safety net is so much more porous, so much more shaky for so many people, and so many more people living in poverty. Um, but the philanthropic tradition here is much more vital. The, 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 the amount that people give here is actually very alive. It's actually a beautiful thing. It's part of the many paradoxes of American culture, both the, this huge discrepancy between rich and poor, and this huge need for, for care of uh, the people who are more vulnerable and yet also that inspires a certain sense of philanthropy and, and kindness and generosity. And generosity is one of those things that opens our hearts, one of those things that's uh, easy to be touched by, whether it's the giving or the receiving. There was this interesting study done um, where they uh, tracked the facial expressions of people. They did this, this, a lot of these studies are kind of quite odd, but they're kind of interesting. They, um, they would catch people coming out of an elevator, uh, women, and they would give them flowers, strangers. And they would, they would be tracking their facial expressions. Um, and they were, they were comparing this action of giving, uh, giving flowers versus other things that might be said or done to them, um, and to track the genuine smiles that would arise when people were given to in that very sort of open-handed way. And they also tracked what the impact of just that simple gesture that affect their well-being for three days. Just a simple act of, of that you know, anonymous giving in a way. So again, another, another teaching that the Buddha talked about was, um, and I, th I think this is very pertinent for, for us here in the West, particularly people who um, struggle with uh, not feeling good about themselves. Anybody not feel good about themselves sometimes? <laughs> occasionally, you've got a friend you've heard about who occasionally has that problem. <laughs> And given that, um, you know, it's useful to find practices that, that enable us to contact a sense of goodness in ourselves, so to, to, to contact a sense of our own innate well-being. And one of the ways to do that is by remembering and, and kindling our own generosity, because generosity is one of those things that when we do, when we act, when we're in the process of that, we do feel that sense of goodness. We do feel a sense of well-being and uh, connectivity. So the Buddha said that the lovely thing about generosity is we, um, we lose our keys on stage, <laughs> wallet and money. I guess I'm giving money away over here. As he said, that the, the, the three things that come from generosity is we, is we feel a certain goodness from thinking about doing it, from doing it, and from reflecting on doing it, or having done it. That even just thinking about uh, giving. I remember I was buying um, in a market uh, recently, and a friend of mine just had a baby, and so I was really excited to find something that was really, you know, this little onesie, you know, <laughs> organic bamboo, cottony thing, you know. <laughs> sort of looks like clothing, sort of onesie thing, you know. 
but it was really fun that just the delight and oh the, the you know this the, the the pleasure in giving and finding something that would be useful and uh, you know sometimes happiness and, and contentment and well-being is very simple we we sometimes overlook the simple things so a study by researchers at UC San Diego and Harvard suggests that um, the people who benefit from kindness and generosity find it contagious and they want to pass it on. You ever had that experience where someone's been kind and generous to you and so there's a, there's a sense of like, oh, the, the bank account is full and overflowing and I want to share it. I want to, you know, pass it on. And you get a, you know, I remember being with my teacher in India and he would be often given sweets and, and fruits and chocolate and he would immediately um, just pass it on. In fact, when I was with Nippon and I had my first meeting with him and I took my book that I'd written, Awake in the Wild, um, and so we'd arranged to have this meeting and he uh, brought a friend into the meeting because that's what he does. He's just inclusive and brings people in. Even though we were having this private meeting, he brought his friend in to listen because well, he would benefit. And I said, oh, I've got this book I want to give you. I wrote it recently. And he said, oh, thank you. And he immediately gave it to his friend. He said, why didn't you read that? <laughs> Write about it and we'll put it on the website. <laughs> And it's just, there was just this movement, like it, it was like Teflon, it was very beautiful. Um, so there's a contagiousness, and this is a story actually uh, from, again, from Service Spaces organization, where there's this, the practice of um, paying it forward, you know, where you, where you, just a practice of giving uh, to others. And so this woman, uh, she says, she writes, I haven't had a job since April 2011 due to multiple health issues. I currently draw disability, but I'm having trouble finding enough money at the end of the month. So I just decided I would look for a part-time job. I've been applying and interviewing since July, but no prospects. I've been told I'm overqualified or they need full-time. This past Tuesday evening, it was freezing cold outside going on about 9 o'clock at night, and I was waiting at a city bus stop for the bus. Just as the bus pulled up, a young woman walked up to the bus stop. She had a t-shirt and very uh, light clothing on and flip-flops, and also wearing several hospital bracelets. I asked her her name and if she had a coat or anywhere to go. She quickly told me she'd lost her apartment because she'd lost her job and then got very sick and was put in hospital. She had no family in the area and didn't even know where she was going to sleep that night. I dug in my purse and took out some bus tickets and $5 so she could get something to eat. I then took off my jacket because it was cold and tennis shoes and gave them to her. I said these were a little big, but they should keep you warm tonight. She looked at me and said, aren't you going to be cold without your shoes and your coat? I told her me being cold for 15 minutes until I get to my place is worth it if I know you'll be a little warmer for wherever you end up tonight. She cried and thanked me with a hug. I just told her to pass it on. Then after I stepped on the bus, that's when the miracle of spreading kindness happens. I stepped up to pay the fare and the bus driver says, Ma'am, I saw what you just did and your fare is on me. Even though technically we aren't supposed to let you on the bus without shoes, he said with a wink. <laughs> I went to sit down and the lady who was, there was a lady who was dressed in a very professional business suit calls me over to her seat. She says, I want to know the name of the person who just did the most inspiring thing I've ever seen. I told her my name and she's like, well, what can I do for you to give, what can I do for you to give back what I just witnessed? I jokingly said a paying job would be nice. <laughs> she said, well, I might be able to help you out. Uh, she asked for my number and uh, asked me to call the next day. And as it turns out, she is head of HR for this company and ends up getting a part-time job. And, but that is not the point of the story. The point of the story is that just the pure bounty of heart in the goodness of heart and how it is contagious, how it moves people to also want to engage and connect and give back and participate. And then the, the, I think one of the more mysterious, not so mysterious, but a more I don't know how to describe it, but this, this quality of, of giving that where we don't really f feel like we're the one who's giving, but we're the one who's receiving. When you're caring for somebody, when you're showing up for someone in need, when you, you can just spontaneously give and, and support someone with presence, with love, 
presence with a C, not with a T. Um, well, presents are okay too. Um, that there's a sense of, you know, there's a sense of connection, there's a sense of oneness, there's a sense of dropping our usual mm, self-protective boundaries and fears and worries. And there's a sense of, it feels like we're the one who's been given to, even because we've been given this opportunity to give. Right? It feels like a blessing, even though the other person is, is technically the recipient. So I remember when I, my good friend of mine almost died in a, in a bike accident and um, showing up to see him in the hospital and doing vigils with him because he would pull out his tubes and try to you know, walk out of hospital and all kinds of things people do when they're really sick. And um, I just remember that sense of like, oh, this is such an honor to be, to be giving in that way. You know, it really wasn't a sense of burden or lack or So another interesting thing, thing about the Buddha um, that doesn't get that much airtime is he was really into uh, people working and uh, and making money. Uh, so you know he's you know the, the, as a monastic you know he's a renunciate and renounces money and work and all that stuff. But for his lay students, he was very strong advocate of you, know, you work hard so you can. Make money so you can take care of yourself, you can take care of your family, and you can give to others, and you can give to those in need. Like it was a very clear principle for him that we use uh, uh, what we, our skillfulness to generate so we can share, so we can be caring for others around us. And he talked about three different levels of giving. So the first is what he called pauperly giving. And this is like when, when a, a kid's like, playing with a toy, you know, there's a couple of kids playing with a little truck. And mom says, okay, Johnny, now let your younger brother play with a truck. And like, no. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> That's kind of like a little miserly giving, right? It's not really abundant. It's sort of reluctant, and it's with conditions. And, and then there's um, noble giving, where we give of ourselves uh, in a way that's... Um, uh, generous, that's, that's heartful. I, have, uh, um, I used to go to India every year in Bodh Gaya, and there was a sister there who I have a lot of deep respect for, Sister Mary, and she worked Bihar, Bodh Gaya, which is where the Buddha got enlightened, is in the state called Bihar, which is the poorest province in India. Very, very, very poor and very corrupt and uh, uh, people live in very destitute conditions, and she spent her time working with the women in these very, very poor villages. And she was a Catholic nun, and just beautiful service, like just this complete sense of noble giving. Just her life was in this flow of offering herself to others. And I'm sure you can think of many stories, um, people you know, who have this sense, this quality, where they just they just show up and they, they're, they're working downtown in a homeless shelter or they've got um, sick children or they're taking care of relatives. Or... I read this amazing story of this, this couple who adopted a child from India who had uh, multiple sclerosis. Um, very difficult for everybody involved and very isolating for the child. And so they went back to India and they adopted another child with multiple sclerosis so that the child would have uh, company uh, in their condition. Very noble in a certain way. And then there's what the Buddha called kingly giving, which is really we're giving the gift of the truth. We're giving gifts of freedom, gifts of liberation. And um, whether that's through our work, through our speech, through our presence, many different ways to do that. I think of when I went through my teacher training with Jack, we, we trained for four years, every about five years or so he has a teacher training and has a small cadre of people uh, study with him and now there's a few more teachers involved in that training process. And he um, doesn't charge anything and just you know, spends a lot of time with us uh, through the year and apprenticing and training and does all out of the love of his heart, just a, be a beautiful service.
And then there's this other way that we can give, which is through the gift of our presence. And what's the interesting thing about presence is it's invisible to us. Anybody see their own presence? You might feel your presence. You might feel presence when you come into a room. You may feel the presence of another. Um, hard to see our own presence, but it's mostly how people know us through our presence, which is sort of like the sum of all of who we are, particularly that gets magnified and strengthened through practice. Yeah, a, I, can, I feel a qualitative difference when someone has a deep spiritual practice, whatever that is, that it, 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 there's a sense of deepening the, the texture, the volume, the, the, the quality of presence. And this is often the greatest thing that we can offer to somebody when someone's sick, whether it's Michael or somebody else. Someone's in distress, someone's anxious, someone's upset, someone's distressed, particularly children. Just being there with a calm presence, with a loving attention. Not fixing, not, not solve problem solving, not just showing up there. It's mostly what we want when we're in distress is someone to actually be there and witness the struggle. Maybe you give your, gener- your generosity through giving a sense of confidence or trust. When we live with a sense of integrity and ethical wholesomeness, there's a sense of trustworthiness. It's one way we can give. We can give in conversations, we can give with our speech. How often are you in conversation where there's not a lot of generosity and everyone's just jumping in with their two cents? Well, that happened to me. Let me tell you when. You don't know the half of it. And not a lot of of giving. And and one of the fruits of mindfulness practice is is mindfulness is a deep listening. So one of the gifts we can give is is that, that presence of attention to another. Not many people are very good at listening. Have you noticed? There's a lot of talking at each other, a lot of not listening, and it's very unsatisfactory. It doesn't lead to much quality of connection. Or what about being generous, generous with others in the sense of how we hold them? So we're not holding others with a fixed view or idea of who they are or who we think they should be but letting them be who we are, particularly people we know really well, like our families. Okay. What's, it, what's it like to be generous and actually not think that we know who they are, even if we've lived with them for 30 years? You know? And then just the simple ways that we can give to each other. You know, I, th- I think of a civil society as a, as a society that's generous. You know, where there's a sense of respect, there's a sense of pausing, there's a sense of considering the other, you know, in traffic. You know, I come from England, and England people drive very politely, and it's like, no, 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 you go first, no, 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 please, no, please, no, please, no, 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 please. You know, it can take five minutes, you know, stop sign, no, no, no. That's why we don't have stop signs in England, it would just be, that it could be gridlock. No, 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 please, no, 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 no. But it's actually very sweet. People you know, wave and they thank you. It's just a very sense of, not all the time, people can be you know, just as grabby and as self-centered, but there's a certain cultural norm around that, uh, which is very sweet. So this is from the Tao. It says, if you realize you have enough, you are truly rich. Be content with what you have. Rejoice in the way things are. When you realize there is nothing lacking, the whole world belongs to you. If you realize you have enough, you have enough. So partly generosity comes from a sense of inner abundance, the sense of feeling a sense of the opposite of scarcity, where there's a sense of, oh, there's enough to go around. There's actually, the cup is overflowing. I mean, we live in insane abundance here. Even if we feel broke, if you're at Spirit Rock on a Monday night, you're living in abundance in certain ways, at least spiritually, community, safety, many, many ways that we have abundance here. Many, many ways our cup can overflow, even if we don't feel materially 
abundant. There are many other ways that we can, we can be generous. So supports for generosity, one of the, one of the things I think is, a, is the, the key is the sense of gratitude, the sense of knowing how much we have, knowing how much we've been given. Right? You, you, we, we don't survive as a human being without being given to and loved and taken care of. Right? We're the only mammals that takes 30 years to raise us. You know? <laughs> 35 years now, because they moved back in, right? And then, <laughs> so uh, I, I may have, some of you may have heard this story. So at the end of our teacher training, you know, four years with Jack, we're thinking, well, you know, it'd be nice to, you know, thank him with something. You know. And, you know, it's a tradition, you, you know, you thank your teacher with some Buddhist offering, you know, statues or Buddhist paintings or, you know, of course, he has tons of those. <laughs> They're actually mostly scattered around Spear Rock. <laughs> and so I said, well, what should we give him? And, uh, and someone said, well, let's, what about getting him a car? Because he used to drive this really beaten up old Camry. And, and then the next voice was, oh, can't get him a car. That's ridiculous. That's, that's too much, you know. And then someone said, well, why not? You know, there's eight of us. You know, we split the difference. You know, it's, I mean, he's given us four years of his life to train us. It's a huge, huge thing. And so we called his wife, and we found out what car he wanted, likes, and what color, and kind of seats, and all that. And so we ended up getting his, the car that he drives around now, his Toyota Camry Hybrid. And the last day of our training, we, uh, we wrap it up in a big red bow. And we have it in the parking lot, and we blindfold him. We can't. We walk him out, and take the blindfold off, and just seeing the look on his face was worth every penny that we paid. It was just like. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, and then, and then seeing him driving around, it's like, oh, there he is driving the car. That's very sweet. It's just, you know, it's a. It's like, again, who is giving and who is receiving. It, it, was felt like a, it felt like a blessing to be able to give in that way. So it's also just fun to think about ways you can support somebody and make their life better in some ways. There was a, 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 somebody on staff here who, in staff who work here, not the, not the admin staff, but the, the resident staff here, they live on a very, very small stipend. I forget what it is, but it's probably a few hundred bucks a month. And uh, she was attending a day long with um, some nuns here, and there was a time to offer dana, which is this um, customer at the end of a class or an event, you offer donations to the teachers. And um, and she said, "Well, I'm feeling a bit broke, but I'm just gonna." And she was like, "I don't know how much to give. You know, I, I want, I, I've only got twenty, but that feels too tight. And I mean, I should give more, but oh, I don't have enough money." And you know, it is when we come to give and there's all that angsting and, and she says, I'm just going to pull, I'm just going to, whatever the first note is, I pull out, I'm going to give. Like, even though, you know, whatever it is. And she pulls out a hundred bucks. She's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is also a great practice that I've done for, for a long time is, is um, uh, always, always, uh, I can't think of the phrase, always um, follow the first thought. Because right? we're often very generous in our first thought, and then the mind comes in like, I might need that old coat that I haven't worn for 10 years. I'm not sure if I can give it away yet. Right? But the first inclination is, oh, of course, give it away, and yes, you'd love it, look great on you, and take it to Burning Man, I don't care, burn it, who cares? You know, it's, what's you? So that's a great practice. So listen to the first thought and see if you can act on it. Right, whatever that is. It's not going to kill you. And then there's giving to ourselves. Sometimes we're most stingy with ourselves. Right? We're most scarce with ourselves, uh, most um, depriving of ourselves, of whether it's taking care of, you know, buying nice food for ourselves, or you know, whatever ways that you might need to you know, live well. Maybe it's you don't... You know, you know, go 
pay to see a good body worker or whatever it is that you need. Um, sometimes that's the place that generates. We, we, maybe it's easy for, to give to others but not to ourselves. You know, I know when I first came here and I didn't have much money and I, I had that kind of slightly stinginess with myself. And so I wouldn't, I'd get like the really, the worst, cheapest food. And it's like, and then at some point it's like, why am I doing that? Why am I putting crappy food into my body? Like that feels so like a lose-lose situation. Um, so that was one way I would express it to myself. So I'm going to buy myself healthy, organic food. Like it seems like a, a kind thing to do. And then there's some people, of course, who overgive. And that's also its own um, challenge, okay? where we um, deny ourselves uh, in a way that's sort of imbalanced. So, or we're not able to say no. Okay? So this isn't about being a doormat. Nobody ever said spiritual practice was being a doormat and giving away everything if that's a too painful, too much cost. So and then just think about what gets in the way for you. You know, what, 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 what is that second thought that goes, oh, I don't know about that, I'm not sure. You know, sometimes maybe we, we second guess our motive. You know, don't wait for the perfectly pure motive because it may never come. Our motives are often mixed. That's okay. We just act with the, the good part of that motive. So what, does scarcity run? Does, does deficiency run? Does, uh, maybe I can't give enough, so I won't give anything at all. And then, of course, on a, on a, on a broader scale, um, uh, again, going back to, to, to Buddhist teaching, the one of the most beautiful ideals in, in, in Buddhist thought throughout, throughout all the lineages, the three main lineages, is this idea of a bodhisattva, one who dedicates, really generously offers themselves and their life and their work to relieve suffering of others. So someone like the Dalai Lama is a good example, Mother Teresa and others, who selflessly dedicate their lives to helping. That's an act, it's a, it's a really profound act of generosity. I know the Dalai Lama often says, I don't really want to be flying around the world giving these lectures to conferences. I know, I want, I'd rather be a quiet monk you know, in a cave, in a little hut somewhere, doing my practice. Like, he doesn't want to be you know, this major celebrity that he's become. But he does it because he knows that's, you know, it's, it's a beautiful generosity of heart that helps a lot of people. So I want to close with a story that I love. Um, it's another story of generosity. And it comes from the South. It's from these nine women uh, from Tennessee, from West Tennessee, who called themselves the Nine Nanas. And they had this ritual that they did in secret for 30 years. Uh, unbeknownst to anybody, including their husbands. And their mission was to create happiness through uh, acts of generosity. And they didn't have much money, um, but they all knew how to cook. And so what they started doing actually was inspired by one of their grandmothers who um, would always bake a cake for someone who was having a hard time or in distress or had just had a child which could be one and the same thing, um, depending on, you know, how it's going. Um, some, one part of it. Okay. Um, and so what they would do, they would find out who was struggling in the community. And they would uh, get together and uh, they would start baking cakes uh, as their sort of initial offering. Um, and then... Um, they started uh, collecting money amongst themselves. And then they would, again, they would find out who was unable to pay rent, who was struggling with paying utilities. Um, and they would just leave these anonymous packages on the doorstep or in the mailbox. Money, cakes, rations. Um, and um, they had this fantasy, they had this desire that they wished they would meet a millionaire so they could give away a lot of money. But um, 
they collectively put aside 400 bucks a month uh, to do this giving work, um, which after 30 years turned out to be almost a million dollars. Um, and what I loved about it is that, that they did it all in stealth. They did it all. They would just find out who, you know, maybe there was a single mother just moved to town who was struggling. Um, and they would, uh, you know, pay their bills, drop off a shopping cart full of food, uh, give them coupons. Um, and then, um, at some point, their husbands started cottoning on to what they were doing. And, uh, and then the, the husbands offered to help, which was quite a shock to them. <laughs> anyhow, I'm not doing the best job of reading that story, but anyhow, uh, you get the idea. Um, let's form a club, form, get a club with your best friends. Um, that's what I did with this, this, this. I started a group for a little while, um, just with friends, um, finding ways that we could get together and talk about generosity and also inspire ways that we could give. And that actually, that small group inspired a lot of different actions um, that helped a lot of different people in the community. And um, particularly this idea of paying it forward. And um, so my last story is... Uh, by, uh, again, someone who runs one of these groups, a guy called Pancho, lives in Fruitvale. Um, and Fruitvale used to be, as the name implies, a uh, place of orange orchards and many kinds of different fruits. Now it's pretty urban and run down and lots of uh, gang violence. Anyhow, so my friend moved in there as a, as a way to be immersed in the community as a as a peace community. They never lock their doors, they have open house policy, people can come and go. And one of the projects that they do uh, in this spirit of giving back is they go around to all the neighborhood houses that have these old fruit trees. And most of the fruits are just, you know, they just, people don't know what they are, don't have the time, don't have the skill, whatever, to pick the fruit. So the fruit mostly just lies rotting on the ground. So they go around the neighborhood and they find out who owns the trees and whether they can pick the trees. So they pick the fruit and then they distribute the fruit to the local schools and uh, neighborhoods and people who, uh, again, who are struggling financially. Um, and I just love the simplicity of that, of just seeing what's in your neighborhood, seeing what's in front of you. you know, sometimes we think we have to do something grand. We have to go build wells in Africa or... I don't know what, it, what our particular project is, um, which I actually like that project, but, um, uh, but sometimes it's just something, you know, that's the person sitting next to us. Maybe the person sitting next to you right now, you know, somebody at work or somebody in your community or your neighbor, you know, some person who's living alone and is isolated and is afraid. You know, different ways that we can uh, share our... Uh, Bounty, share uh, goodness, share uh, good-heartedness. <coughs> so I've run out of things to say, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just sit for a minute. <coughs> Maybe take a moment to reflect on a time that you were given to, that you received. I know when I first started meditating, I moved into a monastery, kind of, and um, I began to reflect on all the ways, rather than complaining in therapy about what my parents hadn't done, I started reflecting all the innumerable ways I'd been supported by my parents, being fed, and clothed, and taken to school, and to events, and this just the tireless work that it takes to raise children, and and the aunties and uncles who had taken me on school, you know, on holidays, and I started writing letters to my family, my aunties and uncles and my parents, and just appreciating 
And it was an ongoing practice every time that those, not every time, but when those thoughts came up. So just <clears throat> taking a moment to think about <clears throat> ways that you've received love, kindness, support, generosity. And just taking a quiet moment to thank those people. <clears throat> Maybe those, these relationships are still conflicted in some ways, familial. And yet we were given to in so many ways. And maybe think about someone who you'd like to return the favor to, someone that you'd like to offer some kindness, some presence, some generosity, some care, anonymously or otherwise. And notice what happens in your mind, in your heart, when you think about giving. It's usually a quality of sweetness. Oh, uh, joy. Maybe you decide to write a check to the first piece of mail that comes into your mailbox that's asking for money. Sometimes I do that. Whatever charity's got hold of my address. I just go, okay, well, I guess I'm supposed to write them a check. Why not? Why not? And maybe to commit to uh, acting on the first impulse to give. Remembering the words of the Buddha that we feel wholesomeness in the thinking about giving, in the act of giving, and in the reflection afterwards. And of course it helps reduce that sense of self-centered grasping and it opens up our hearts to Connection opens the heart to letting go, opens the heart to love. And sometimes when I think about talking about kindness and generosity, it feels like I'm talking about the same thing. Kindness is the generosity of the heart. Love is the generosity of the heart. Compassion is the generosity of the heart. They're not two or three. Okay, everybody, nice to see Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.